Christmas music. I was just wondering, does anyone even know what the word means anymore? Oh, um. Well, have a wonderful Christmas. Hey, hey wait. Yeah? Well, what's it mean? Emmanuel. Oh, it's about Christmas. It's about Jesus. Well, you know, Jesus is God the Son. Um, he loved us so much that he became a baby, and he lived and died, and he came back from the dead, all for us. Okay, what's, what's that got to do with the word? I'm sorry, I'm confusing this. So, 700 years before Jesus wrote himself into our story, this guy named Isaiah said that God would give us a sign. Um, he said, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and call him Emmanuel. It means God with us. <clears throat> you know, all the terrible things we do and all, all the terrible stuff that happens to us? Well, he came to set it, set it straight. Oh, I, I, never, I never knew that. Well, can I buy you a cup of coffee? What? Well, on your break or something, would you like to hear how God um, lives with us and cares for us? Uh, you know, I think these are, these are pretty bad. Actually, it's terrible. Lately. I can really use God to live with me and care for me. Awesome. Emmanuel. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So emptied himself to become God with us he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The cost to become Emmanuel was to empty himself by being born in the likeness of men. Have you ever played hide-and-seek? As adolescents in our neighborhood, we made it more grown-up. You know, we call it kick the can. <laughs> Instead of just hiding and then another person seeking we added this protection of the can. you got to protect the can. And that made it more like hide and sneak, you know, because you had to sneak up and kick the can before the guy got you. you know, it was, hey, we were kids. It was a lot of fun. But for pure cuteness sake, <laughs> you just can't beat a toddler. 
when it comes to hide and seek, they just hide behind their little hands. You know, it's just so cute. And then you you, you just pop a blanket in front of them, boom, and you know, they, ah, you, know, you just elicit the most fun little giggles, and they they just fun. It's just great. They just can't be better. Later, they just they love peeking from behind their dad's leg. You know, that's a that's a big one, or their mom's, or or a furniture, or just around a corner. They don't care. It's just great. Hide and seek. It's a lot of fun. It's that innocent misconception that you can't see me if I can't see you. <laughs> it's fun. Eventually they learn there's a little bit more to it than that. And you're thinking now, well, I hope you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with Jesus? <laughs> with Jesus coming and emptying himself. What are we talking about here? Uh, what does this have to do with his becoming Emmanuel? A surprising amount, really. Though he was in the form of God, he was born in the likeness of men. There are surely many ways to get this wrong, and humans in their incredible ingenuity have come up with quite a few of them. (laughs) Uh, We can get rid of some of them straight from this very verse. Jesus was pre-existent as God. He was, is, and always will be God, the person of the Son. Mormons get this wrong by saying Jesus pre-existed as a God. In fact, we all pre-existed as some sort of God, according to Mr. Smith and Young. Of all the pseudo-Christian religions, Mormonism is the most distinct from real Christianity, biblical Christianity. They, They use lots and lots of Christian words, but they are many miles removed from true biblical belief. In fact, there's almost no correlation between Christianity and Mormonism as you, if you actually look at the beliefs. They're completely different and, interestingly, contradictory to each other. So, anyway, Jesus was pre-existent as God. Jehovah's Witness get this wrong by pretending that Jesus was just a very powerful created being, a little g God, the first created angel. These are heresies, false religions with which we can quickly dispose, well, for today's discussion. We're also going to ignore for today those who claim that Jesus was just a man, uh, as well as those who say he was only God appearing as a man. Okay, We're not going to worry much about that. We'll stick by Paul's direct contention that Jesus Christ was, in fact, in the form of God. That is to say, he was God. And he took the form of a servant. He really did become a man. Okay, Which... Brings us back to hide and seek. (laughs) You may have heard people say, Jesus left heaven to save us from our sins. Well, that's kind of a dangerous way to say it. I mean, I get where they're going. But the problem is, how do you stop being God? (laughs) Can you take a break? You know, I think I'll take a coffee break. I'm not going to be God for a while. You know, know, how could he leave heaven? Well, Well, he can't, okay? That can't be it. So how does the Son of God become Jesus Christ? How does he become a babe in a manger who doesn't know who he is? Who doesn't know he's the eternal Son? How does he do that? I mean, if he's a real human baby, well, babies don't know who they are when they're born. They are who they are, but they don't know what that is. (laughs) How does he hide from who he really is? How does he empty 
himself. It's probably best to start with what we're not saying. <laughs> Let's dispense with the either-or thing. Okay, Throughout the ages, people have asked, how can a person truly be a man and simultaneously God? So some have said he wasn't really divine, and some others he wasn't really human. The Apostle John, in warning about those who teach false things, said, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God has come. He had previously stated that Jesus came from the Father. In other words, that he is God. Has come in the flesh. He truly, honestly became man. Speaking of his own experience, John wrote, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How could John see him as a human being and yet know he is the eternal Son. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes and which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. The eternal life was made clear, shown to us. God so with us that John touched him, okay? <laughs> touched him. Mary held him in her arms. She breastfed the Son of God, okay? Wow. Emmanuel. He was truly human. And we need to talk about his real humanity. What we as human beings share with him. To start with, well, he was conceived and born. I mean, that's start. That's the beginning. Uh, none of us, of course, remember that. I'm thinking nobody does here. We don't remember that time. You know, our, our birth was a dramatic moment, right? The instant when we were introduced to the world. Everybody gets, gets the glorious us. <laughs> they see that which is me. You know, that's me. Have you ever looked at a picture of this baby and said, yeah, that's me? That's a little strange when you think about it. But it is. That's us. There's someone there. And our point here is that Jesus was born with a real body. Good point. That's Jesus. One day Jesus was talking to the religious rulers and they thought he was talking about the temple in Jerusalem, but he was speaking about the temple of his body, the scriptures say. He had a real human body, okay? A body that needed food on the following day when they came from Bethany. He was hungry, we're told. His body, like ours, needed liquids, water, to survive. And that horrible day when he died, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Another thing, the person of the Son in his divine nature has location. He is located somewhere. It just happens to be every location. There's no limit to where he is. He's everywhere. But in his human form, he had to pass through Samaria. He was limited in location. You can't be two places at one time. <laughs> Yet that, that now was a reality for the person of the Son. 
And like all humans, he was limited in physical strength. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Wearied from his journey. When he was to carry his own cross, he was so weak, the soldiers had to force another man to carry it for him. He got weak. He was a real human being with a real human body, including a brain. He wondered about things. After three days, they found him in the temple, his parents did, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. You know, what? How can God wonder about anything? Doesn't he know everything? Yes. In his divine nature, in the form of God, yes. But the Son truly became man. He really did not know everything. Concerning that day, he said, or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He grew and learned. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He truly took on the form of man. His character even developed. As God, all creation should naturally serve the Son. But Jesus, describing himself, said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We'll come back to that one. Let's move into another area of true human life that we share with Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Anybody? Yeah. Now, as God, there is no temptation. I mean, how could there be? Okay. Everything is at his disposal. Okay. There's no temptation for him because it's all his. If it isn't there, he just thinks it and it's there. It's created. I'm, that's it. There's no, there's no temptation for God. But if he was truly human, he could be and was tempted. But he wasn't like Mae West. Remember Mae West? She said, I generally avoid temptation unless I can't resist it. <laughs> uh huh. Of course, she also said, when women go wrong, men go right after them. That's another uh, famous Mae West. She led a lot of men the wrong way. Uh, mm. But Jesus, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus actually resisted temptation. He really did. And conquered it. I'm going to stop here. C.S. Lewis wrote a fascinating thing about temptation. He said that a bad man really doesn't know much about bad because what happens is he succumbs to temptation almost immediately. So he really doesn't learn anything. It's the one who resists temptation for a long time. That's the one who learns about bad. Interesting thought. There's another way Jesus is like us. As a true human being, he had a soul created for relationship with God. So, the life of Jesus was saturated with prayer. Luke wrote he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That was his normal practice. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. But don't 
misunderstand for a moment. This was not a simple, easy formula for Jesus to pray. It really wasn't. In fact, who he was and the mission he knew he was on seemed to bring an even greater intensity to his prayer life. Prayers often erupted from the depths of his very human soul. In Gethsemane, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And on the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his agony and all these things, the baby born in a manger who grew and learned and worked as a carpenter for 20 years was very much like every other human being ever born on the face of the earth. But there are some very important differences in his humanity and ours because of his person, because of who he is. Every human being ever born on this planet was conceived and born in sin. Except one. <laughs> the angel said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. His conception and birth was of a virgin. The Holy Spirit oversaw all this and he was born in holiness. Not exactly like us, okay? <laughs> and... He always pleased the Father. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. When we say, I always, <laughs> we can really mean no more than, I wish I always. I mean, we, we can't really get always. And you know what the worst of it is? Well, for us, anyway. The best for Christ. The thing in his life that proves who he is more than anything else in his life? Well, you know how nice it would be to be able to say that we were good, at least some of the time, all on our own. Wouldn't that be nice to say? <laughs> the truth is, without his grace, every human being would find themselves driven ever downward. Jesus, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was perfect in his humanity. Jesus lived his entire life without committing or even thinking evil. Not exactly anything, you know, something that any of us are likely to claim. And there's another thing he could do that no one else could because of who he is you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, John wrote, and in him there is no sin. We can't save ourselves from the mess we've made for ourselves, <laughs> let alone anybody else. But Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He, the perfect human being, could die for us and could rise for us. <laughs> we who believe are brought to God because the pure one suffered 
for our sins. Paul says of the Father and the Son, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become the nature of being right at God's level because of the perfect man, Jesus Christ. If that doesn't get your heart, you might not have one in a spiritual sense. I mean, come on. <laughs> you might want to check on that one. But we're kind of still at hide and seek. How did Jesus Christ empty himself? Isaiah wrote the thoughts of the Father concerning the coming Messiah at that time. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. By his knowledge, that is to say, by what he experienced, his first-hand knowledge. God know about conception and birth? Well, of course He does. He knows more about it than every scientist or doctor, that all of them put together. More about it than anybody who's ever experienced it. And it's true. It's absolutely true. But in one sense, there is knowledge of and there's experience of. The person of the Son experienced conception and birth. He learned obedience. He experienced hunger, thirst, weakness. He experienced learning and questioning. He experienced temptation. He experienced serving. He experienced death. He even experienced that which he never committed, sin. Well, uh, you know, so what? I mean... He's still God, right? I mean, he can do that. Was it really the same for him? Was it even really death? When he never dies, is God? I mean, God can't die. <laughs> and I and okay, it, it's not exactly the same, but that's actually good news. But it was a real death because persons experience death. Persons die. And persons anything. Persons experience everything. God, the person of the Son, could never experience any of those things in His divine nature. Couldn't. Only if He added a human nature to His person could He experience death. That's it. And Persons die. The person of the Son experienced death, experienced the weight of sin, experienced the rejection of the Father. The cost of Emmanuel was for him to experience, in particular, to experience death for us. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of, the, of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What we could not do, he could. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He could do what we needed if he was willing to experience suffer with us as a real human being. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. There would be no story. There would be no Christmas. There would be no hope if the person of the Son had not been willing to hide himself from us. And even in a strange sense, from himself. He was like us. He still is like us in that sense. Of course, he's ultimately different. Had to be if he was going to die for our sins. Because one additional way he's different from every other human being is that he rose from the dead and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's pretty exciting. (laughs) And it should lead us back to how we are like Christ. Well, how we're supposed to be like Christ. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Okay. Later he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Uh, well, wait a minute, Jesus. You're not in the world anymore. So who lights the world now? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Paul said, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Simple. Okay, how do we be light? (laughs) Let me read something to you that Nancy Lee DeMoss said. Salvation is not a philosophy. It's not a religion. It's not a doctrinal system. It's not a religious belief or system. I'm sorry. It's not a set of beliefs. There is a set of beliefs about salvation. There is a doctrinal system about salvation. But salvation is ultimately a person. It's Jesus. He is our salvation. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. Jesus and salvation are inseparable. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the light. (laughs) He's the light. All we have to do is show people Jesus. Tell people of Jesus. Live Jesus. 
Each of us is gifted in some way. Maybe you need to buy a cup of coffee for somebody and just listen to them until they finally ask you why you believe. That's, <laughs> that works. You know, maybe you need to mow somebody's lawn. I don't, I don't know. That might be it. Encourage a person. Be Jesus' arms around someone. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you, but God knows. And He'll let you know. It's okay. We're each individual. It costs an enormous amount for the person of the Son to be Emmanuel. So like all the great believers before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One day, you and I, all who believe, will experience Emmanuel. We will see the joy, okay? The joy of Emmanuel. So, how about if we run the race now, like we'll wish we had when we meet Emmanuel in person? Okay, let's do that. Father, thank you so much. First, that you were willing to send your son. It's one thing for Jesus to be willing to come. It's a whole other thing to allow someone you love to give themselves up. Especially in such an incredible way to experience all he experienced. The thought you must have had when you knew you would reject him. You would reject the person of the Son. In human form, yes. But persons get rejected. And you knew that would be a part of the deal. And yet, you cared so much for us. You loved us so deeply. Love is such a part of your nature that in one sense, you really didn't have a choice. It's who you are. You care. We would love to care for people like that. We're grateful that you care for us deeply beyond any words we can express. We're deeply grateful for your Son and His willingness to come here. His willingness to take on flesh, as Paul said. Pretty great expression. To become a little baby strange we don't understand how that part works (laughs) how can you as your son is be god see everything know everything and watch yourself not know i can't understand that and none of us as humans can but we know it's true because you told us it's true and we experience it in our own hearts Now we'd like to give some of ourselves back to you. Well, really, we'd like to give all of ourselves to you. Help us, Lord, to know how to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.